Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is February 1st, 2017, and this is episode 187. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. In this episode, we'll recap Orioles Fan Fest. Oh, am I supposed to talk now, too? Is that what this podcast is about, is two people talking? I was hoping. Well, we'll see how that transcribes at the end of this this, this show. Um, we're also going to discuss uh, my ongoing contract situation, and we'll look ahead to what, if anything, happens between now and February 13th when pitchers and catchers report. Spoiler alert, probably not a lot. Uh, before we go any further, let's get to my favorite part of the podcast and pretty much the only reason I am here this evening, and that's the drink of the week. So, Jake... What are we drinking this evening? All right. Now, I, I need to make sure this is okay. I have been expressly forbidden for having cheap American beer show up on this podcast. And Scott, I've been doing my best. Yes. I have been doing my best to contribute, to be conciliatory. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask your opinion here. I have, uh, I have La Cerveza Masfina. Ooh, La Cerveza Masfina. I'm, I'm drinking Corona this evening. Uh, does that count? Um, hashtag resist. I I do need to drink it now before it's incredibly expensive. Yeah, I mean it's already pretty much overpriced for what it is, but I guess it's going to be even more overpriced it's for what it is. Going to be like forty dollars a six pack at yeah. some point. What are you drinking this evening? Uh, I am drinking also a Corona Extra just to uh, you know bite the power. <laughs> <laughs> Please let us know what you are drinking. We're on Untapped and would love to socially connect with you over some drinks. Uh, toast us. Mock us, whatever you will. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. I am at M A G N eight six zero six. With that, let's go dabble in 140 characters or less on this week on the Twitters. This week on the Twitters begins with a tweet from MLB Trade Rumors, who tweeted out a story that basically says that, well, we should meet the new Yanish. Same as the old Yanish. This is a report that says that the Orioles signed Johnny Giovatella to a minor league deal. And uh, I guess this is what passes for important big signings for the Orioles this offseason? Depth signings. But again, I will point out that it is a minor league deal. And the Orioles have done a decent job in the past of um, going out and doing minor league deals. Yeah, the the end of the 40-man roster is really the strength of the Dan Duquette era. Uh, This guy was the starting uh, second baseman last year for the LA Angels. He played 99 games for them last year. He was uh, very recently DFA'd. He has an out in his contract for either the end of March or at the, the trade deadline, and he'll make $1.1 million if he uh, if he makes it. So I think, I think the big question is, uh, when does he play right field? <laughs> uh, as soon as all of our other outfielders get hurt or ineffective. No, I mean, this makes sense. Um, it, it also comes to, um, with the World Baseball Classic, it's a potential that you're going to need to have some depth out there to play um, some utility infield when Scope goes away and plays for the Kingdom 
of the Netherlands. Nice callback to yes. season one of Bird's season Eye View. Season one, Bird's Eye View. Do you think that this signing says anything about the need to stockpile infield, uh, middle infielders with the health of J.J. Hardy? Um, I think based off the depth of the entire minor leagues, this is just a, a situation where you have to go out and get these fringe replacement-like players because you have nobody in AAA and or AA to um, solve the problem. You're not wrong. Yeah. So, Jake. For those about to cash in, we salute you. I thought we had a no singing policy on this podcast. That's still a negotiation for my, my contract. Sorry, Derek. Yeah. Uh, so John Heyman tweets, at John Heyman, O's made a multi-year try with Zach Burton before they settled on his record raise for reliever off of his historic year. Um, the thing about this report, though, was there was no details about how much money was offered or I think it was a three-year deal was what was offered, but there was no aspect of what kind of money. Um, I was actually kind of curious if the Orioles may have said, you know what, you're making $11 million this year. Could we maybe drop that down to $7 million this year and then maybe backload the contract because the Orioles love backloading contracts and, you know, paying over time until there was a money associated with the, you know, three-year contract. I chalked this up as a very meh situation. So let me ask you, do you think it's, do you think it's posturing by the other side or do you think that offer actually happened? I think the offer actually happened, but I think it's one of those things where it didn't really make sense for Zach Burton to make that move at this time. Yeah, timing-wise, the club really should have done it before last year started. Yeah. All right, the next one we're going to call, should they stay or should they go? This is a tweet from Fangraphs, who tweets, of course, at Fangraphs. It's a link to their article, The Orioles May Have a Decision to Make. And basically, I think you can schedule this tweet for every year. It talks about the fact that the Orioles might as well start selling or hope. And really, isn't that what they've done the last several years? They've gotten to the point where they either need to rebuild or they need to go with what they have. And what they go have ends up being, meh, okay. At this point, though, the, the article points out that the, the window is closing. That contract time is approaching for a vast majority of the key players for the Orioles. Yeah, and it's a really interesting article also from the fact of, you know, I think the Orioles are going to be one of those um, mediocre teams that are going to be going for a wild card once again. But similar to the New York Yankees of last year, um, the Yankees were right there in the wild card spot. Um, and again, they said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and trade away everything and completely rebuild. And um, it, it was a it was an interesting move. It made the most amount of sense from, you know, a statistical slash, you know, this is a good opportunity to rebuild your franchise. But um, it, it is certainly a, a way that you just say, well, are we just going to give up? Um, in, in terms of New York, you know, they have such a large fan base. They can kind of do that. But for a small market team such as the Orioles, um, that can certainly cause a, a significant amount of animosity to come back. So uh, it's going to be um, a very uh, scary 2017 potentially where um, everyone is going in optimistic, but it could easily fall apart as of June. Um, and this team could be dismantled around us is the best way to describe it. All right. Next, we're going to take a look at a tweet. I'm calling this one. It's much too late for goodbye. This comes to us from um, Eddie in the Yard, Eduardo Encina of the Baltimore Sun, who of course tweets at Eddie in the Yard. Matt Weider's current unemployment worries Orioles players on several layer, uh, levels, and it's a uh, it's a link to his article. There was a lot of talk about Matt Weider's at Fan Fest this weekend, coming from the players. Believe me, they've noticed that he's still available, and frankly, I, I think that a lot of them are surprised. I think a lot of us are surprised. You know, the argument of should the Orioles, should the Orioles not offer him a contract again, you know, if it's at the right price. I'm kind of surprised he's not off the market yet. What about you? 
I'm a little surprised that no one has basically said we're willing to throw money down the drain. Right. Um, yeah, I think he's just gonna have to settle for a one year deal again at this point and just be like, I'm gonna have to prove my market value. And, uh, I, I keep saying that the Orioles are not going to do it. It doesn't make any sense for them to do it, but it's the Orioles. They do weird things like this all the time. I mean, seriously on Saturday, it was like Zach Britton, Brad Brock, Chris Tillman, Chris Davis, everybody, Mark Trump, everybody said, well, until he's signed, right. he may be back. He may be back. And, you know, I have to I have to be honest. I think some of them believe it. Yeah, I think it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you look at the teams that are linked to leaders, and they make much more sense than the Baltimore Orioles. But there's something weird about it just lingering over and just saying, you could easily see someone just sweeping in and saying, Matt, we're going to offer you 8 to $10 million for you to come back and reestablish your market value. All right. Well, one more tweet for the road, folks. Um, this one goes to thank you at Orioles Jesus. Um, and uh, it, it comes to a simple tweet as this. And you can, of course, follow Orioles Jesus at Orioles Jesus. Spring training starts this month. Hallelujah. It's I mean, about time. It's been a long, cold winter. It's been a long, long um, off season. needless to say. We've gone through a, a dramatic change um throughout these months of october november december january and now february october was really the last good month i can remember i i don't know why it's a blur back then it was a different world it was a different world (laughs) all All right right. well with that um there was definitely some celebration in birdland uh with fan fest occurring uh this past weekend so maybe let's go through uh, a few sights and sounds that bird's eye view noticed behind the scenes and in the crowd You know, Scotty, FanFest was this weekend, and uh, I put up a blog about it this week, but I think it bears repeating. FanFest really is the Groundhog Day of Orioles fandom. I mean, think about it. It's one day of a flurry of activity. Fans then see our shadow, and we go back into hibernation for several weeks until spring really actually starts. But that one day, when everybody is super excited, it's basically a national holiday. It, it's not just that, too. It's just like Groundhog's Day from the Bill Murray classic, where every single time it is a constant repeat. Verbiage is exactly the same. Shtick is exactly the same. Um, you know, activities are even kind of the same. And I know the Orioles do try to put a spin on it and alter it up every single year. But anybody that goes, you're basically just going for the same um, kind of routine and occurrences that you're always looking forward to. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, comfortability and uh, lack of surprises is what any good Orioles fans uh, should be aware of at this time. Look, I love Orioles Fan Fest, even though I feel like I don't get most of it. And the reason I love it is that no matter what you're into, there's something there for you. Like, I'm not an autographs guy, just something that doesn't interest me. But if you're an int- uh, if you're an autographs person, there are autographs to be had. If you've got young kids, there are great activities for kids to interact with the Orioles and to to do activities. If you are super into memorabilia, there is memorabilia there. If you are the the kind of person that loves to get tchotchkes, there are free giveaways that they got left over from last season. If you're just a person that loves to sit and listen to people talk, there are great fan forums and there are uh, spots where you can listen to the, the players and the media and the coaches. 
for every hook that you can possibly have for Orioles fandom, I feel like FanFest does have something for you. And I think that's kind of cool. I, I think for what it is, um, it has pretty much everything that you need to do. I think that some people expect more. Um, but I would come back and say, what else do you really expect from the organization during a fan fest? I mean, you know, I spend t-shirt cannons. I spend 12 bucks on a day in January and I go get to spend time with, you know, 10,000 plus Orioles fans for a day to get me through to spring training. And if you're a season ticket holder, you don't pay anything. You're just going in there for free to basically be kind of marketed to is the best way to describe it just saying it's not a bad way to spend a saturday right yeah i mean there's other things that you could do such as you know go to the movies but in all honesty it's a lot more fun just to kind of go to something that you normally don't get to see um so anyway um birds of you did a few things differently this year is the best way to describe it um um i actually separated from jake for the first time in a few years and uh went alone on the floor and just kind of experienced the sights and sounds of fan fest um and just kind of talk to folks and just see what the general sentiment was. Um, and then Jake, you were, um, you were a little bit more professional, I guess is the best way to describe it. I wouldn't call it professional, but I was locked away with the media, uh, for fan fest, which was, which was fun. Um, but I will, I will is that the you, word you're going to use fun. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing though. It was, uh, those guys work hard. Yeah. That is a long day. Uh, and, and, uh, those guys should be commended for what it is that they do. I heard that the media room didn't even have free popcorn and free sodas. There was no popcorn. There was no popcorn. What kind of press event is this? Did Schmuck walk in and say, where's the ice cream machine? And just immediately walk back out? He did not. Although there was like, you know, the, the mixed bag Dorito pretzel Cheeto thing. Nice. Hey, what are you going to do? That's pretty nice. That's fancy stuff. Uh, we had to stand in like a long, like 50 person line to get a bag of potato chips. So. I read some things on Twitter about that. <laughs> All right. So I thought maybe I would share some of my observations from the media room, and maybe you could uh, share some observations sure. that, that you saw on the floor. The first thing that I wanted to, to cover is the fact that attendance was quoted as being 15,000 plus. And if I'm not mistaken, that is a big increase over last year, which was like 11, 12. 11 to 12,000. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. I mean, it definitely felt like a bigger crowd this year in terms of some of the lines that I experienced. Um, which is interesting that there's that many people that decided to come out this year. I understand that the Orioles were in the wild card game last year, but it's a little surprising that there was that much excitement. I'm glad that you picked up on that because earlier on you said that there will be excitement going into the season. And I'm not, I'm not sure that's the case. Are people really excited? Does the fact that this team went to the wild card game last year really booing fan uh, excitement for the start of the 2017 season for a team that is largely unchanged? I mean, the one thing that I'll say is, you know, this comes back to being on the floor, uh, you know, just being in some of the fan forums, we've been at fan forums before where there is a general negativity, animosity slash questioning of how things are going to go. And I'm not saying that wasn't you know, existed in some instances, but in overall, I felt like a lot of fans were much more like, yeah, we know what team we have going into the season. We know what we can, we're good at. We know what we're bad at. Um, we're looking forward to see what plays out this season. And we kind of want to get past what happened at the end of 2016. Well, look at the big difference between last year and this year when it comes to FanFest. FanFest took place in the cloud of the uncertainty over the Chris Davis situation. Sure. And I won't say that they were booed, but Dan Duquette was 
treated hostile oh, very by, hostile. by the crowd yeah. versus this year, right on the heels of the re-signing of Mark Trumbo, when the crowd was a lot more forgiving. Sure. I, I, I wrote in my blog this week, it took 22 minutes of that fan forum of open questions before the fans got to tell, talk to me about the Zach Britton thing. I, I'm if shocked If this had that been happened. the previous yeah. year, they would have... Question number one. Yeah, yeah Question number one. And I'm just... Again, and that was the kind of sentiment that I saw predominantly through it. I mean, there were people that asked questions, but overall, it was a very friendly forum, which is kind of surprising, all things considering um, coming off a, a very disappointing loss um, from 2016. Uh, next thing I noticed, Buck Showalter is a gamer. He was sick as a dog. And actually, that morning, yeah, that morning, we had received word that he was a game time decision and, and possibly uh, not going to make it. In fact, leaning toward not showing up. So big ups to Buck Showalter. He, you know, may not have been at his best, but well, how's the expression go? He's as good once as he ever was. Anyway, yeah. he was uh, he, he was he was a, a pro for sticking it out. What I heard that was they didn't want to put him on the designated DL because then, you know, he couldn't come back and participate in 10 games yeah, or ten, so. 10 yeah. full days, yeah. right? Uh, we talked about the fact that players are not willing to really admit that Weeders is gone. Uh, but one of the things that that struck me is that uh, none, nobody really seems to be that familiar with Wellington Castillo, and he was unable to make FanFest because he was ill. Um, but a lot of the pitchers expressed a confidence in Caleb Joseph, and I don't get the impression that that's just lip service. No. I, I think that the, this pitching staff does have faith in uh, in Caleb Joseph, particularly those who came up through the minors throwing to him for several years. He's in many ways a security blanket, even if he doesn't get the majority of the starts at catcher. Sure. And again, we come back and we harped on Matt Weiders in the past about how he calls certain games and also from his pitch framing standpoint. And yes, Caleb Joseph is how he horrific is the best way to describe it. Offensive performance. But from a defensive performance, I still think Caleb Joseph offers that benefit that sometimes um, certain metrics such as the fangrass metrics does not capture pitch framing in terms of um, their war, um, which is a big flaw of the fangrass model. Um, Wellington Castillo is not known by this organization. So you've got both a person that's not known to this organization. You've got a new pitching coach. So there's this uncertainty um, that is kind of, you know, lingering. And I think the pitchers are looking for some bit of certainty. I think Caleb Joseph is that certainty. I think that's also why people keep saying, you know, well, Matt Weiers isn't quite gone yet. They like the players that are around them. Um, and the players talked about that. They're like, it's great that they keep bringing players back that are on this team because they want to keep everyone here because they know how good this team is with all those players on it. Yeah, and a lot of the guys talked about the fact that bringing that team back, getting the band back together, so to speak, really spoke to an additional sense of urgency to win with this team. I thought it was really interesting because Zach Britton had talked about the fact that you know, now that Mark Trumbo is back and that the team is is making an effort to keep everybody together, it's important to win now because we really would have liked to have won while Matt was here. We would have really liked to have won one while Mark Kakis was here. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, you know, we think that as fans, but, you know, they are cognizant They're of that cognizant too. They're too. And they know that the contract situations are coming. They know that the window is closing. And I'm curious to see what that pressure does. You know, is that something that's going to eat at the team? Or is that something that's going to motivate them? And I'm, you know, I'm not sure there's any good way to know how it plays out until you know the chips are down. I don't think you know whatsoever, but I think based off of um, how this team is run in the clubhouse presence, I think it's just one of those things where it's going to further drive them and say, all right, the faith has been put in us. We know what we can do. Um, let's go out there and actually prove any doubters out there that say we can't do this wrong, basically. 
One of the questions that kept coming up in the press room, uh, it was mostly uh, Rich Dubrow, formerly of CSN, who kept asking players either about their contract situation or about their status of arbitration, and nobody seemed to miss a beat. You know, uh, Brad Brock was basically like, you know what, does doesn't matter, it's going to happen, my agent's going to handle it. You know, we pick comps, they pick comps, and then what happens? Caleb Joseph, the same way. I mean, these guys are basically saying, look, I mean, they're going to make a lot of money or I'm going to make a lot more money, right? Nobody really seemed to be phased by their contract situation. Even, you know, Manny Machado. He said, look, I got two more years. What happens is what happens. Yeah. Except Adam Jones. He seemed a little prickly about it. When he was asked about whether he wanted to stay in Oriole, he said, hey, it's not my decision. Yeah. It's not my decision. That's up to the front office. And, you know, I love Adam Jones. He's one of my favorite players to watch. He's the cap 10, right? He bleeds orange and black between the lines, but he can be a little prickly when he wants to. And I think he, you know, was sending a message saying, Hey, I want to be here. Now the ball's in your court. You do it. I think that'll be interesting to see what the Orioles do. Is it, are are they going to be in rebuild mode or or not? And he was similar to that too, when he had his other contract signed with the Orioles. He's just like, Hey, you know, if I need to go to free agency, I'll go to free agency, but I want to be here on this team. Just, you know, I need an offer made to me. It's as simple as that. And that's when back in the day, Duke, I was like, well, we don't negotiate during the season, and then lo and behold, contract comes out right in the middle of the season. So it's like, what? What happened here? Well, things just happen to fall into place. No, that means you were negotiating during the season. Is the best way to describe it. Jones talked about the need for the outfield to get better defensively, yeah. right? And he wasn't necessarily calling out his team his teammates, but he said, "Look, you know, Mark Trumbo is an offensive minded player. He's not a defensive genius." Yeah. Uh, same same is true of Seth Smith. Yeah, he said they were athletic players. They, right. they're, they're athletic players, but you know what we really need to do is improve on um, our defense and in terms of our range in order to cover more more things, which is kind of a topic that we've talked about this whole time. And um, certain um, large media giants that cover the Orioles have basically poo pooed that and said, "Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Look at the fielding percentage for the Orioles. I mean, they're one of the best outfielding uh, defenses in all Major League Baseball." They're certainly the best with bubblegum. Yes. When asked if he would consider moving positions to allow the outfield defense to get better, he said, absolutely not. Which I think comes back to maybe that contract situation, which is, hey, if you want to sign me, I'm your center fielder or going forward as well. I think the difference between Adam Jones's last contract and this contract is his ability to manage his ego. Yeah. If Adam Jones turns himself into a right fielder or a left fielder, and is a pretty good outfielder as a as an aging slugger. Sure, I think that he's got a role in this team for a long time. Slugger in quotation marks, right? If you look back at what he's done over the last four years, I would yes, still call him a slugger. Okay, and you know he is going over thirty now, right? And, so, but if he's not willing to do that, if he's not willing to shift out of center field, and he and he digs his heels in. I think he's going to have a harder time here, and I think he's going to have a harder time elsewhere getting a long term gig. Look at the trouble that Matt Wieters is having. Yeah, veterans absolutely. are not getting the deals that they used to well, even right even, away. Even power hitters, for example, are not getting the deals that we've expected them to get. I mean, uh, chicks may dig the long ball, but it doesn't seem like front offices are truly digging the long ball. I mean, Chris Carter, he's going to go play in Japan. I mean, yeah. what kind of makes sense does that make? I mean, guy had, what, 43 home runs last year or something like 41, that? 41, something like yeah. that. He's the AL leader, right? NL leader. Because, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's crazy is the best way to describe it. So um, yeah, very interesting situation with Jones. Um, kind of a little too late for the aspect of being like, well, we really need to improve our defense. It's like, well, everyone that you needed to go get is pretty much off the market now. So I don't know who you're going to go get. Um, but very interesting, very some interesting quotes from Jones um, in that regards. Let me ask you about Caleb Joseph when he when he was talking about arbitration and he was talking about the business aspect. He's like, did he ever say like? Well, you know, they're going to go in there and bust my balls. And 
he, he he came just shy of him. Okay, gotcha. Caleb Joseph, by the way, <laughs> was very serious about his hobbies because uh, during FanFest, he was drumming for the kids, and he came right from drumming to the media room, so he was a little sweaty, and he was apologizing for that. Uh, so, so the, the pool was asking him about his drumming. He's like, actually, you know, I'm taking up a new hobby and I'm really serious about this. You know, Caleb Joseph sure. has always got a smile. Like, no, I'm serious about this. I'm taking a painting like Bob Ross. Yes. So I, I think, you know, we talked about this a few years during FanFest, the year when Weeders basically went out with Tommy John surgery mm-hmm. and Caleb was there in FanFest. I left FanFest that year saying, my gosh, Caleb Joseph was like so good from a personality standpoint. Like he would be a guy that, you know, could easily have a conversation with you like where some of these players are just like yeah i guess i'll do that but caleb joseph has that ability to like kind of entertain is to a certain regard so like the conversation about the painting or him going downstairs in the kids room and basically doing a drum solo for the kids and being like here i'll let me bring you up on stage and actually play the drums with you like that's the kind of you know that's the kind of personality I want to see on my team is the best way to describe it. He's going to be the next Eric Burns on MLB Network when he uh, when he leaves the game. Wow, that's a really harsh criticism. All right, but I'm mean, saying he's a high personality guy. He'll get a gig somewhere behind a mic. Sure, sure, sure. Any any thoughts? Uh, any remaining thoughts from you about the experience of FanFest on the floor? Um, not particular. I mean, I would just say extremely long lines, um, a lot of people, but overall pretty positive in my opinion in terms of people looking forward to the season i think people are just eager for the season to start and basically like i said wipe away that bad memory which is 2016 i have just one complaint about the experience sure we broke for lunch we went to our normal spot yep the jimmy john's across from the convention center and someone failed to show up (sighs) someone failed to show his face yeah dan duquette we hardly knew ye you were supposed to be there. Well, I waited for you, Dan. Maybe something went off on the waiver wire. <laughs> Although it was nice for JJ Hardy to introduce himself to you. It was. <laughs> Shades of Dave Wallace. Shades, Shades of Dave Wallace. So the, the story goes, as Jake has told me, as uh, JJ Hardy was one of the only players in the media room to go up and introduce himself to everybody, even though it's obvious, oh, this is JJ Hardy, and just say, hey, you know, thanks for everything you do. And Jake, would you like to tell him uh, a little bit about your encounter with J.J. Hardy? He's just, he's going down the line. I was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good to see you. How are your kids? Oh, hey, hey, good to see you. How are you doing? Hey, he looks at me and he just nods. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, and you and are? You. All right. Are you an intern or something? Is that what's going on here? It was hilarious. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, I, I think we need to finally address this contract situation um, that's going about because... We had a deal in place during FanFest, um, but there's been some complications, so maybe we should uh, get into those uh, nasty details. All right, Jake. So we keep doing this dance back and forth, and I'm I'm here, and I'm hoping to negotiate in good faith with you. Look, we had a deal in place at FanFest. We shook hands, and then you pulled the deal right under my feet um, after I I failed a physical, allegedly. So we've been recording these shows, and my contract situation is still not resolved. Um, So from here on out, um, you're not getting any more freebies from me. Um, I'm on open protest at this point, and um, I may be considering legal action as well. 
Scott, come on. I, I feel like we're making a lot of progress here. All right. We did have that deal in place in FanFest before it fell through. Uh, but if we let this process play out, I think we'll be in really good shape by the time spring training starts. <sighs> All right. Let's just do this. Come on. What we're here to do is we're here to talk. <clears throat> All right. What I'm here to do is review the state of the Orioles as they stand now on February 1st, 2017. It's time to weed through the posturing, weed through the rumors, and get to the facts of the matter. All right? So, fact. With the addition of Mark Trumbo, the Orioles roster is effectively finished. Dan Duquette and his team are busy patting themselves on the back, and now, as it has been for the last uh, for year, several years, it's up to Buck to figure out how to get the most out of what has been assembled. All right, Jake, I understand you're trying to put a spin on this, and this is all very interesting, but I'm sick of you twisting the message to our listeners to serve your own purposes. Um, this is a clear example of why you're the opposition to myself. So you have these facts, Jake, but I think it's time um, that the audience know um, about some alternative facts that are out there. I'm, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, alternative facts? Aren't those by, uh, by sheer definition not fact? I mean, isn't, isn't truth a binary, Jake, like Jake, one or Jake, zero? Jake, 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 They're words. I'm, I'm saying them in front of a microphone, and people are listening to them right now. So what more legitimacy do I need than that? These are alternative facts. So, Jake, alternative fact. The Orioles' inability to sign Vance Worley for a mediocre salary of $1 million base and up to $1.65 million in incentives will backfire similar to releasing Miguel Gonzalez in 2016. <sighs> All right. Fact. Zach Britton may have been the best closer in baseball last year, but we can't depend on him being perfect in the regular season again. He was so good last year, and it would be a mistake to assume that we'll enjoy the same margin of error in the ninth inning in 2017. All right, that, that's great and all, but again, that's 2016. I'm not interested in 2016. We've already covered this. Let's not look at the past. We're here to look at the future, Jake. And the future is this. This offseason, the Orioles installed a new sod uh, at Camden Yards. They posted their best record ever when playing on that surface at Camden Yards, going 358 and 293, a 550 winning percentage. But this new sod comes from Hamilton, New Jersey, otherwise known as the Blueberry Capital of the World, which, in all honesty, will leave a sticky mess with a downward spiral of defensive guffaws attributed to these new playing conditions. These are your alternative facts. Jake, these are these are the truth of the matter, okay? We have experts out in the field that can verify this. And, you know, the data that has been presented to me makes me believe that these are true. These are top men. Top men, Jake. All right. Uh, let's say uh, we'll just uh, we'll go with this. Fact. Oriole Park at Camden Yards may play a little bit differently in, uh, in the offseason after some changes. The field was completely changed, as you noted, and LED lighting was installed. You may remember that LED lighting was scapegoated to explain the Orioles' strikeout fest in Houston last season. And it's possible that these improvements may alter the Birds' home field advantage. Jake, uh, that's fine. You, you, you can point out LED as much as you want, but here's the alternative fact that you really need to be focusing on. Jonathan Scope is dope. He is an all-star second baseman, and he needs to be signed now rather than later. Even though he puts up some um, absolutely terrible numbers as per StatCast in terms of batted ball exit velocity and launch angle, which puts him at the bottom of the league in terms of performance, Jonathan Scope 
is the individual who will be the X factor for this team to lead the team to the playoffs, to the AL East championship, and to the World Series. The rest of it means nothing. All right, I feel like these alternative facts are spiraling out of control here. Let's let's try to go back and, and loop back to something we talked about earlier and talk about Matt Wieters. We, we discussed a little bit, but I don't think it's beyond the pale that Matt Wieters could come back on a one-year deal. If he's got to sign a one-year deal somewhere, why not here? He could very well serve as a DH slash catcher, and it's not crazy to think that with an uneven at best year from Caleb Joseph offensively last year, that the Orioles might not be better splitting time between Wieters and Castillo uh, at, at the catching position. So look, until he signs elsewhere... I'm not necessarily hoping it will happen, but I'm saying it's not crazy to think that Matt Wieters may return. That, that That's fine and great, and we can talk about Matt Wieters, but in reality, the alternative fact is this. The projection models, uh, once again, have picked the Orioles to finish last in, in, in the AL East. Uh, both Fangress and Pagoda, Pagoda will be released next week, but I've already got a sneak peek of it, um, are basically showing that the Orioles are going to be in last place once again. A weak rotation and a mediocre outfield defense once again sinks the Orioles' chances, and their team remains in the cellar as they have been since 1998. Is this team weak on borders and weak on immigration? Absolutely. Positively. <laughs> Scott, your alternative facts terrify me. Well, look, there is no alternative fact besides I have no contract, and we continue to do this song and dance routine. Look, I realize that I failed the physical. I realize that I may be partially out of shape in my mid-30s after drinking um, a massive amount of beer and liquor um, with achy joints to go. But Jake, I throw this back at you. Am I in no better shape than you are right now? Let's call bygones be bygones. I'll sign the contract, and we will continue on as bird's eye view going forward. All right, Scott. Look, you're making an effort here. You're reaching across the aisle. You're you're showing me an olive branch, and I won't deny that. So. I accept your terms. Let's sign the contract. We'll get that all taken care of today. We'll get the legal on it. Um, thank you for such a magnanimous gesture. I just want to point one thing out. My contract only goes through the end of this year. Oh, I knew you had Super 2 status. Scotty, I want to blow the save with uh, with a bit of perspective. I want to talk a little bit about the expectations that we discussed for this offseason. Coming into last year, I was pretty low on the Orioles. And starting pitching was the reason. Starting pitching was the primary reason that I picked this team to just have an awful, awful year. I thought it was going to be a losing season because they couldn't find the wins. What happened instead was that the Orioles turned out to be a mediocre team that found a way to win some extra games and ended up in the wild card race. And this year, the team is about the same. Oh, I still think that the starting pitching is worrisome, and worrisome is a generous way to describe it. In fact, with the trade of Giovanni Gallardo, we now have a very thin margin of error in a rotation with a Dylan Bundy who has health concerns with a Wade Miley, who I wanted to fire off into the sun last season. And I think there's still reason for concern. But I will admit to have been, have, having been very negative at the beginning of last season, and that probably carried on through my experience of the entire season. 
So looking back at FanFest, is it a positive thing? Are the fans excited? I think I'm going to choose to go into this season giving the Orioles more of a chance than I did last year and and not trying to drink the Kool-Aid and not trying to delude myself into thinking that a team that shouldn't win can win. But what I've experienced thus far in the last few years is that the Orioles always find a way to exceed the expectations of the experts, and I am no expert, so why not let them exceed my expectations? Rather than treating the team a little hostily, as I did last year, I think that I'm going to uh, I'm going to try to be brave, Scott. I'm going to try to find within me that audacity of hope. And with that, that'll do it for Bird's Eye View. I want to just make a few reminders. First and foremost, that this podcast is a very proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. And you can also find us on BaseballTalkRadio.com. I also want to point out that we're all over social media, but you can most likely find us on Twitter where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. You can find us on Facebook, on uh, Google+. Plus. You can find us on Snapchat, but tweet at us, please. Someone has to. And with that, Scott Magnus, I have nothing left. So I will say, Baltimore and beyond, adieu-adieu. I'm so glad that I'm back with Bird's Eye View. You know, it feels right. Yeah. It feels right. It feels right. It feels like, almost like, five years of my life has come back and returned itself again. Can I make a confession? Sure. My wife said that if we didn't settle this tonight, I was in big trouble when I got home. Uh, it's funny you should say that. My wife actually pushed, put pressure on me, too. She's like, I'm getting sick and tired of you being available, so uh, I guess we're going to do this more often. Did they arrange this? Gosh darn it. The kingpins themselves. Outsmarted every time. It's two wives in a cave in Barbados. Every time. With that, Baltimore... Be safe out there, and let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.